Let me pray for us as we look at God's word together this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us. We pray that as we examine uh, this story of Abram this morning, that you would help us to find the things that apply to us and the things that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing our series of seeking spiritual renewal and revival. And today we're looking at the reset after a foolish start. And we're going to be looking at the story of Abram this morning. You probably have stories like this. One of the things that happened to me as I was growing up, um, when I was probably about seven or eight years old at home, was that I enjoyed playing a game with my younger brother, who was two years younger than me. In our front lounge room, uh, which was had a short pile carpet, we used to enjoy setting up two bean bags at the end of the room, and then we would take a run up from the other end of the room, and we'd either slide into the bean bags or we'd jump onto them and they would slide on the carpet. It was good fun, but I thought I could add to the excitement one day by when my brother went to jump onto it, I thought it would be quite funny just to move the beanbag out of the way. And so I did this on this particular day, but he had decided to jump down and so he landed on his shoulder And I soon realised that uh, he wasn't getting as much fun from this as I was as he burst into tears and and as you do as a seven or eight-year-old, you say, don't tell mum, I'll give you all my pocket money or, you know, you start bargaining for for ways not to get into trouble. That wasn't going to work on this occasion. He went out and he told mum and dad and um, I remember getting into some degree of trouble for that. But what scared me more than mum or dad was uh, they had to take my brother to hospital and I knew that if my brother was going to hospital, I was going to jail. You know, it's one of those irrational things that goes through your head as a seven or eight-year-old. thought, if the ambulance is coming for my brother, the paddy wagon was coming for me. This was it. <laughs> Thankfully, that didn't happen. And um, But... I don't know what I was thinking, you know. We just thought it would be some fun, but these things so easily can turn into something that you don't intend. Today we're looking at an incident in Abram's life. One of those, um, what was I thinking moments? It's interesting that the Bible doesn't shy away from telling these stories of foolishness or acting unwisely or even shamefully, but instead lets us see these heroes of the faith in all their humanity, mistakes and all. So what's just quickly a bit of the background to what we heard in our first passage today about Abram and Sarah. At the beginning of chapter 12, 
we have an account of God sending out Abram from his home in Ur to a land that God would show him. It's at this time that he also makes, that God also makes this promise that Abram will become a great nation and he would bless all of the families of the earth through him. So Abram left his home at 75 years old with Sarai, his wife, Lot, his nephew, and were told all their possessions and the servants they acquired in Haran on the way, and they headed for Canaan. In Canaan, God reminds Abram that all this land that he's looking at and he has his feet on will belong to his descendants. It was currently occupied by the Canaanites. And part of his promise of, and this was part of his promise of blessing to him. From here, he settles near Bethel, and we are told that he builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. The fact that he called on the name of the Lord here is significant because we're not told that he did this actually before he went into Egypt. Maybe, maybe if he had called on the name of the Lord before entering Egypt, God would have advised him on what to do or what not to do when he got there. So at the the beginning of the account we heard read today, we know that because there was a severe famine in the land of Canaan where initially Abram and Sarai and their family had settled, Abram decided to go further south and live in Egypt for a while. And as they say, this is when the trouble started. I wonder how this whole incident might have turned out if Abram had called on the Lord before he'd gone into Egypt. I mean, after all, God had called Abram to go to Canaan, not to Egypt. Might God have said to stay put in Canaan and he would provide for him? We don't know, but we're also not told that Abram did ask God. So what happened when, they, when he got to Egypt? Before going into Egypt, Abram comes up with a plan. And he says to Sarai, his wife, you are a beautiful woman. And if the Egyptians find out that you are my wife, they will kill me so that they can have you. Just say that you are my sister and they'll let me live. Now, Abram wasn't entirely lying or telling the truth. We find out in chapter 20 that Abram and Sarai were in fact related with the same father but different mothers. So Sarai was Abram's half-sister. We know Abram was a bit over 75 years old at this time, but we also know that he lived to be 175 if you read the scriptures And Sarai was about 60 at this time, and she would live to be about 127. So perhaps relative to our years, Abram might have looked like he was in his late 30s perhaps, and Sarai might have looked like a younger woman in her early to mid 30s. 
In any case, Sarai would have stuck it out in the crowd. And Abram was right that the Egyptians did notice her. They passed on word to the Pharaoh that she was indeed a beautiful woman and Pharaoh brought her into his house. Pharaoh brought her into his harem. And what a terrible and compromising position to be put in thanks to the plan of your husband. We're not told the details of being in the harem but she would have been either available to the Pharaoh Or perhaps like Esther, um, she may have spent at least six months in training and etiquette before being presented to the Pharaoh. We just don't know. But, you know, the plan went well for Abram. He is well looked after because of Sarai. For one, he's still alive, which was the original intention of his plan. But two, he is gifted with the bride price, a wedding gift. And it said... In the, in the verses that we read today, it, it, it was, um, contained sheep, oxen, donkeys, servants, camels. I mean, this was a generous bride price offered by the Pharaoh. Now, we don't know how long this particular situation went on for, but we know that this was not how it was meant to go. The situation was not going to go where God had planned, and so he stepped in. The household of Pharaoh was afflicted, and we're told because of Sarai, with great plagues. We also don't know how Pharaoh worked out that it was because of Sarai, but maybe it was because she was very obviously unaffected by the plague. Maybe. In any case, the truth comes out and Pharaoh calls in Abram. And ironically, Pharaoh is the one who does the right and honourable thing here. And he recognises that because of the situation that Abram has put Sarai in, Pharaoh is being punished. Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why have you done, what have you done to me? Here is your wife, take her and get out. He was sent on his way with Sarai and all of their possessions. Abram didn't really deserve to be delivered from that situation, but God had promised to keep to him. Back in Ur, God had promised to make Abram into a great nation. God had promised to bless him And so even in the midst of Abram's foolishness, God kept his word. Now, in the other passage that we had in Genesis, which came from chapter 15, it's again about God making a promise to Abram that doesn't rely on Abram. There's a great deal that could be said about the nature and the intricacies of of that beautiful covenant that God made with Abram. And it is actually amazing to sit down and examine some of the detail of it. But what we want to note today is, again, this is God's doing. God initiates the covenant. This is what you would call a unilateral agreement or a unilateral covenant. It is made from one side. God is making all the promises. 
and he makes them all to Abram while he is sleeping, while he is in a deep sleep. Abram is not participating in this covenant except to receive. God is the one who risks everything, including his own reputation, to make Abram great and bring enormous blessing through him. And of course, that blessing comes to us uh, through Jesus. So what are the lessons here? that one up a bit earlier. There are lessons learned the hard way here, lessons that contrast foolishness and wisdom. If you read the book of Proverbs, those contrasts are made again and again. But the first thing we note One of the first lessons is contrivance in the things of God. You know, Abram thought he needed to come up with a plan to cover the truth of Sarai being his wife. He thought he needed a plan to protect God's plan to keep him alive and blessed through him. Maybe God wouldn't protect him. Maybe he wouldn't protect them while they were in this land of Egypt. And so he thought it you know, prudent and good planning to have his own plan ready to go. What if Abraham had called on the name of the Lord before he went to Egypt, like we mentioned before? Maybe, just maybe, there wouldn't be a story to tell here. In Proverbs, it says, there is a way that seems good to a man, but it ends, but its end is the way to death. But contrast that with what Psalms says. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. You know, I think at times we are also pretty good at trying to cover for God too. Pretty good at looking at ways that seem good to us, but plans that are really not his intention for us, for parts of our life. Jesus said, He was all about seeing what his father was doing and where he was working and then doing those things. He waited on the father and followed his direction. You know, we shouldn't assume that we always know how God will act. You know, there are some certain things that we can be absolutely sure of in relation to his character, but we should be ready to submit our plans to God and let him change them and mold them however he likes. What about deceit and half-truths? Abram thought that the way to protect himself, and it really was more about him than Sarai, was to tell only part of the truth that then became a lie, a lie for that situation, and could have cost Abram and Sarai a lot more than it did had God not stepped in to rectify the situation. Deceit was not the answer. Look at the end of the story. Abram would, would have gained more respect from Pharaoh if he had told the truth. And maybe Pharaoh would not have gone near Sarai at all. 
Pharaoh's reaction certainly hints at that. Again, in Proverbs, it says, Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Contrast that with the Psalms. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. God is looking for truth in us. Maybe like Abram, we are prone to lie and deceive at times out of fear. Maybe we don't always fully trust that we can put our life and our circumstances in the hand of God to do with as he will. If we tell the truth and our circumstances seem to go a bit pear-shaped, can we rely on the goodness of God to see us through? We are called to follow the example of Jesus, who we are told was full of grace and truth. What's another lesson that we learn? Concern for reputation. Abram would have remembered what God had promised to him. He was going to be the father of many nations. He was going to bless the earth through him. He was going to make his name great. Surely, a bit of a lie here and a bit of deceit there and a bit of scheming of his own to protect his name and God's promise was going to be okay, wasn't it? Hang on, Abraham. Didn't God do all the promising? Wasn't any promise to make his name great going to be God's work? Didn't God make that covenant with you while you were asleep? Hmm. In Proverbs it says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honour. And in the Psalms it says, Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. God doesn't need us to protect his reputation. We all like to be well thought of. But there are many traps that come with seeking our own reputation. At what cost do we seek to promote or even just protect our name? Churches are not immune to this. You know, we have our own kind of culture of honour and shame too. It might be a bit more subtle in the ways that we express it, but it's still something that we have to fight against. Jesus said that the one who would seek to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven must become the least. The one willing to love and serve will have a reputation in heaven. And really that should be enough for us. Even Jesus, the one with the name above all names, sought to glorify his father. He was given this name, as it says in Philippians, because he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. Wouldn't it be delightful to have a reputation for loving and serving and honouring others like Jesus? We could do worse than being accused of being too much like Jesus. What's the last lesson we learn? 
about the fear of people. In the story, Abram was certainly driven by this, a fear of what people might do to him. Remember his appeals to Sarai to say that she was his sister because he didn't want to be killed by the Egyptians? It was about his survival. What about Sarai? I wonder what sort of family discussions happened after getting kicked out of Egypt. In Proverbs it says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And in Psalms it reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and those who practice it have a good understanding. Fear of people, or as the Bible calls it, the fear of man, is a very real and a very strong motivator for many. We do a lot of things at times because we are driven by what might happen if we don't. What might people think or say about us if we do or don't do something particular? Jesus' command was, first of all, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and might and to love our neighbour as ourselves but not to get that the wrong way around. We need to keep seeking a perspective and vision of God that makes his approval of us and our desire to please him as the primary focus and then our other priorities will fall into place. So where does this land us? We've learned some lessons and some wisdom from looking at this event in Abram and Sarai's life. But when it comes to how this applies to us, I'd like to suggest just two things to you. The first is, there is nothing and no situation that is beyond God's ability to redeem. And sometimes we forget that. You know, God is more gracious and more kind than you can possibly wrap your head around. I believe that when we get to heaven, we will find out many times that God has moved behind the scenes to show his great kindness and graciousness and his protection over us, even when it has been our mess up. And we should praise him for that. Don't be an example of the song, I did it my way. Learn from the example of Abram that we need to seek God both regularly and early in relation to our circumstances. Jesus has lived, died, risen and ascended so that we could be cleansed of our sin renewed and revived, as we're talking about in this series, so that we could talk to him, just talk to him about our circumstances. We have a great heavenly father and he longs to move and intervene in our lives if we would just ask him and perhaps ask him more often than we do. I hope you will go away from today ready to ask him to do more renewing and reviving in you. We need it for the glory of his name. 
but we also need it if we are to hold out the hope and the glory of God to the world. Amen.